Hello, come on in. Welcome to Conversation Matters. How can I help you? Yes, I do have a certified conversationalist in right now. Do you have a prescription for a conversation? Thank you. Alright. Regaining trust in human beings. Hmm, that's a conversation that a lot of people could benefit from, whether they know it or not. Absolutely. I can get you in with someone right away. Give me just a moment. Okay, here, take your prescription and go through that door. I've let him know that you're here, and he's ready for you. Good morning. Good morning. Come in. How are you? It's so good to see you. Yes, I know exactly who you are. Do you have a prescription? Huh, of course. Let me see. Oh. Yes, I've had a request for this recently. I'm glad you brought it to me. You know, it's hard... It is. It's it's hard to have trust in your fellow man and trust in humanity when there's so many horrible examples of people behaving badly. You know, if I might just take a look in my own notes here, I see several times... People have requested that I help restore their trust in humanity. And sometimes I'm at a loss to do that. I don't want to let you down. After all, this is your conversation. This is your prescription. For me to be a pessimist about the future of humanity... For me to sit here and discourage your faith, to discourage your trust, that doesn't make me a very good person because we all know that there are dark times in the world, very dark, very dim moments when Humanity brings out the worst in each other. The depravity, the evil that men are capable of. And I know it's hard to look at that objectively and compare it to something beautiful. It almost sullies the image of a beautiful moment like a mother holding her newborn child to juxtapose that with somebody committing an atrocity. And one person's atrocity might be another person's freedom fighter. And that's not good. It's not good when you try to change the political landscape with violence, evil. I, I feel like Yeah, I know about the shooting. If it isn't 
If it isn't one thing, it's another, isn't it? What are they going to report on next? Where's the next lone gunman? When's the next massacre? It's easy to get down. It's easy to let these things hurt you. And that's what they're designed to do. Whether you believe it is or not, these acts of violence are meant to harden your heart, to open your mind to other beliefs, other political agendas. They want to shock you out of your mindset. They want to make you more pliable to their ideas. And you might say, well, how does knocking down a building full of people get people onto your side? Well, it, people ask the question, why? People are curious. And they ask the reason why. And there's always somebody out there willing to explain the radical point of view to try to get you to understand where these people are coming from. And they don't expect you to become radicals like them. Mm -mm. They expect through their great acts of violence to get you to move a little to the right or to the left in your thinking. You see, before they did that act of violence, before they brought their political beliefs to your knowledge, before they made themselves known to you, you didn't care about them one way or another. You didn't even know about them, probably. But now, after their extreme acts of violence, those who were in the know run around and tell everybody, explain their point of view, explain their radical ideas. And it slowly brings a few people towards their direction. Maybe people who never heard of them before. Maybe it was something so radical that that was the moment that they were waiting for. Some kind of trigger or event to help them find that which they felt was missing in their life. Make, make no mistake, when you commit an act of violence in public, it's for advertising purposes. You want your 15 minutes of fame. You want your story told, your manifesto divulged to the population. You want your name in the books. You want people writing about you, not other things. Now they're writing about you. And if they can do enough of these in a row, it gives the illusion that that is the world you live in now. So you'd better get on board that train and you better start stepping in step with our thinking or you're going to get left out. And that's what the radical hopes for. They hope that if they do enough of this night of the long knives, BS and frighten enough people that people will start to cower in front of their ideas. Not just 
understand them, not even have knowledge of them, but cower before them. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is you have to understand the radical, the person on the far end of the spectrum. (laughs) And I dare say you have to understand both sides of the coin. Being in the middle isn't always perfect, but most people are in the middle because they don't care about radical ideas. They don't care about far-reaching political spectrums and diversity of political ideas that makes people so neurotic and dangerous and far-fetched. They they get these ideas that we don't need this in our life and we don't need that and we don't need this. And they throw everything out with it. They they don't even want to accept that there might be a middle of the road an acceptance of someone else's ideas. That taints their perfect image of the world, their utopian view of what the world could be if you just listened to me and my radical views. But we all know from history that that's not how it works. Anytime you become too radical, you push your country and your people too far one direction or the other, you set up an authoritative government. Whether it's a theocracy, which is a, which is a government under religion, or a form of totalitarianism, dictatorship, even an atheistic government with no, no feelings towards religion. They all basically have the same idea. We need somebody at the top telling everybody at the bottom what to think, what to do, what to believe. It's a dictatorship. It's an authoritative government. Now here's the part that hopefully starts to restore your trust in humanity just a little bit. If you go back in your history books, there are many examples over and over and over again of somebody, male or female, that wants to take over and run the show and be an authority, to be a dictator, to command as a god among men. And the stories all end exactly the same way. They all have very different beginnings. Some people start rich and become even more influential and more powerful. Some start out dirt poor and become very immensely powerful in a very short time. But even though their stories are always different in the beginning, they always end exactly the same way. They do. They always end with either being poisoned in the privacy of their own home, being hung by the enemy who finally has had enough and overthrows them, which is the people. The people are always the enemy. (laughs) See, that's the part they don't tell you when they start these little idealistic dialogues with you. That when they're talking about the enemy, the enemy is us. Because we don't believe. We don't see the world in their harsh, narrow vision. And because we don't see it, then we are part of the problem. 
too. We are the enemy. (laughs) Every dictator, it ends the same. Usually hung by their feet in town square. People throwing rocks at them. I knew an old lady who, she was ancient when I knew her. She was very precious. She came from Romania in the 1920s. And uh, at that time, a lot of Romanians came to Youngstown, Ohio, where I was born and raised. And they worked at the still mills that were there at the time. Once they got enough money, a lot of them wanted to return home to Romania. They missed their homeland and wanted to go back. In this case, they did go back around the mid-1930s after they had made a lot of money, and they immediately turned around and had to come back because of what happened, the events of World War II. And of course, you know about the Iron Curtain and the um, Warsaw Pact and how countries like Romania and Poland and Bulgaria all fell under the boot of communism. Romania had a very, very bad dictatorship. Uh, he was quite a quite a number. And I can never say his name correctly. But I remember when things were collapsing for him. He had a locator watch on his wrist. And the people who had him prisoners, the, the people that were holding him, could not figure out how the communist secret service, you know, the secret police kept finding him. They were like zoning in on his location and they were just pouring in. So literally they would leave a spot and the secret police would show up like seconds later. And he kept waving his watch around and waving his arm around. And, and, uh, They figured out he had a locator on him. Well, when they got tired of playing games with him, they took him out into a courtyard and they blasted him with a gun. I think him and his wife, maybe a couple other officers with him. And the people finally got their hands on him. And I remember, and this happened back in the 80s, the late 80s. And I remember sitting in a, living room in, the, in my friend's grandmother's house. This, this grandmother was just this little old lady, tiny little lady, probably barely five foot tall. And they were showing the film of the Freedom Fighters, you know, with the bodies, and she was standing there going, burn them, burn them. Oh, burn them like it's not good enough. Burn them. I never saw so much anger, so much hatred, so much violence in her eyes, in anybody's eyes, at that point in my life. And I understood all the things I understood, that this woman could have this passionate hatred towards somebody who had hurt so many of her friends and family, destroyed whole villages that she may have known countless atrocities 
There was no courtroom, no prison, no place for this person to hide. And there it was on the news. The restoration of freedom in that country. We the people exacting justice. And it always ends that way, doesn't it? No matter how many tanks, no matter how many bullets, no matter how many guns, no matter how many secret police they have, it always ends the same way. I think we've been conditioned to the world of George Orwell in 1984, the fact that the secret police could reach a point where they could control humanity relentlessly, that there would, there would be no freedom. There is no true freedom. You can never truly escape us. We control all and all aspects of life. But in reality, it's the exact opposite. What brought down the Eastern Bloc and communism in general, as it was known in the late 20th century, as you know, as it was at that time described. Oh, yes, the United States had definitely an effect on it. And the NATO alliance had an effect on it, and several other things. But the main thing that brought it down was freedom. The idea of freedom. The idea of we the people. The people of those countries had had enough. They were tired of the jackboot. They were tired of the butt of the gun. They were tired of the spying. They were tired of it all. They wanted something better for their children and their grandchildren. That was my generation that did that. That was my generation that came out of the closet, stood up for itself, was tired of the old ways, being told what to think, where to go, what to believe in. It was my generation that told the dictators to get out, took the Berlin Wall down, had free elections in Poland. There was a song by Jesus Jones, and it said a lot of things, but one part that stuck with me was it said, I lived at a time when the world could change in the blink of an eye. And I remember that time. I remember finding out my friends were on the Berlin Wall. They left the military base in Germany and went and helped the Germans, the average citizens, tear down that wall with picks and sledgehammers and cranes and backhoes. Farm boys from Ohio standing on the Berlin Wall, laughing, drinking beer, watching the communists pack up and go home. 
does happen. You can't always see change. But it happens. And as insane as it is, it can happen in a blink of an eye. And it takes people to do it. Just normal, everyday people deciding I don't want to I don't want this to go on anymore. It's not okay. I don't like it. It's not all right. People get caught up in elections and political parties and ideas and they forget about being a good neighbor. They forget about what it's like to take care of each other. Take care of those less fortunate. To welcome those that are different. To stand up for people who are different. I have seen things in my world lately that make me sick, that make me question the road we're on. What are we thinking? What do, what do you think when you go back to those old ideas of hatred and violence and the ugliness of the 20th century and you think if we, maybe if we do it again this time we'll get it right? My grandfather, your grandfather, your great-grandfather now, they tested those ideas. And they realized that they didn't work. And they went to war over it. They fought a final conflict to put an end to these ideas. These were men of goodwill. And they put these ideas away. Why would you, in the 21st century, 80, 90 years later, bring them back to the fold, thinking they're going to work this time? That violence is a solution, that hatred and racism is a solution. That extreme political ideas are going to work. This time it's going to work. This time it's going to work. <laughs> no. No, it's not going to work. Because I'm going to crack that history book open and I'm going to show you exactly the time and the date when it didn't work then. And you're going to help me write the book where we show everyone it didn't work this time either. I think people need to wake up to reality. And the reality is we're not alone on this planet. It's a big world, but it's shrinking every day. We've got to get along, and we've got to learn to work together. You don't have to like each other. This is the way it always been. 
You go to work, you get a job, there's people you like, there's people you don't like, but you don't have to treat them wrong, just, if you don't like them, just get along with them best you can. You're not here to make friends, you're here to get along. In the same way with neighbors, there's neighbors you like more than others, but you learn to get along. What's wrong with that? There was a time when I thought things were never going to get better. I didn't even want to raise children in this world. Everyone around me was preaching the end times and end times and the end times. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. My son's 27. He's a beautiful man, and he's starting his own family. And it didn't end then, and it's not going to end now. And I was thinking about that the other day, and my mother I said this somewhere else, but I think it bears repeating. She said, I've been hearing that end time stuff since I was four years old. I'm 77 years old now. I'm still here. I'm still here. So much for the end times. This world was here a long time before we were here. And it's going to be here a long time after we're gone. I think what we need to focus on is making the best of our lives now. Living good and fruitful lives, helping one another. And I know I say men of goodwill, but there's men and women of goodwill out there. And they took the time to help. Men like Louis Pasteur figured out something as simple as pasteurizing milk and saving millions of lives. There's always a man out there who sees the darkness around him, but chooses to see the light. What about you? Are you choosing to see the darkness, or are you choosing to go towards the light. And the light isn't just hope. The light allows you to read and to write the words that the next seeker will see when they step into the light. Now when they come there looking for hope, wondering if humanity is lost. What words do you want them to see written on that page? It is something to think about. And I do think about it often. 
there's a story that um, I should probably save for another tale. But there are always examples of hope and people of goodwill. You can seek to find those stories and learn them and tell them to others. And you can also tell those stories of humanity lost, too, as a reminder for people to guard themselves against the darkness. But I hope you'll never give up. I don't know how to restore your trust in humanity. But I know something brought you here. You're not ready to give up. And I'm not either. So at least that's two of us. Two of us ready to go forward. That's something to think about. Okay? All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this, and uh, I hope I see you again. Why, thank you. And I hope you have a most blessed day, too. Okay? All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Cuello. Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song Atlantis is by Jason Shaw of audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardojeo at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.